is a message from one of our Sunday celebrations. And you can find out more about Jubilee by visiting our website at www.jubilee.org.uk. Well, it's great this morning to be able to continue our series in the book of Mark. Uh, you'll know if you've been with us recently, we're working our way through this gospel. And um, Tim's given us a great introduction over the last couple of weeks to this Gospel of Mark. And now we're into taking what I think Tim called chunks each week. So we're not quite going verse by verse, but we're going chunk by chunk, uh, if you like, through the Gospel, uh, landing it at, uh, on Easter Sunday next year. And this morning we've got some different passages to, to look at, to consider. We're not going to get time to go into every verse uh, in the sort of detail that maybe uh, I would like to, or maybe you would like to hear. I mean, for a preacher, it's quite frustrating to skip over things, thinking, I'd love to get to that, but we need to press on, because I'm assuming some of you want to be out of here before half past two. So um, we'll, uh, we'll do our best to, to achieve that, and uh, we'll have a look at uh, some verses in Mark chapter 2 and 3. So why don't we pray together and then we'll read some scripture. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your word to us and we pray now that as we uh, read these verses in the Gospel of Mark that, God, you'd make them come alive to us. This wouldn't just be like a history book we're reading, but God, would it come alive with the good news and the grace of Jesus? Would it come alive to us in a fresh way? Would we see Jesus afresh today? Would we encounter him afresh? And we pray, God, that you would speak to our hearts, please, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You ready to have your heart spoken to this morning? Because yeah. that's what we expect God's word to do, isn't it? So let's, let's position our hearts ready to have God speak to us. So Mark chapter 2, if you'd like to scroll to it, open it, find it, whichever version of um, Bible you may have, uh, it may well come up on the screen behind me in Mark chapter 2 verse 13. That's Mark chapter 2 verse 13. We'll start reading and we'll get just into the beginning of um, chapter 3 maybe. Once again, Jesus went out beside the lake. A large crowd came to him, and he began to teach them. As he was walking along, he saw Levi, son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, Jesus told him, and Levi got up and followed him. While Jesus was having dinner at Levi's house, many tax collectors and sinners were eating with him, and his disciples were, for there were many who followed him. When the teachers of the law, who were, who were the Pharisees, saw him eating with the sinners and tax collectors, they asked his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said to them, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Now John's disciples and the Pharisees were fasting. Some people came and asked Jesus, how is it that John's disciples and the disciples of the Pharisees are fasting, but yours are not? Jesus answered, How can the guests of the bridegroom fast while he's with them? 
They cannot, so long as they have him with them. But the time will come when the bridegroom will be taken from them, and on that day they will fast. No one sews a patch of unshrunk cloth on an old garment, otherwise the new piece will pull away from the old, making the tear worse. And no one pours new wine into old wineskins, otherwise the wine will burst the skins, and both the wine and the wineskins will be ruined. No, they pour new wine into new wineskins. One Sabbath, Jesus was going through the grain fields, and as his disciples walked along, they began to pick some heads of grain. The disciples said to him, Look what they're doing. Sorry, the Pharisees rather said to him, Look what they're doing is unlawful on the Sabbath. He answered, Have you never read what David did when he and his companions were hungry and in need? In the days of Abathar, the high priest, he entered the house of God and, and ate the consecrated bread, which is lawful only for priests to eat. And he also gave some to his companions. Then he said to them, The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. For the Son of Man is Lord, even of the Sabbath. Let's stop there. So I've called this morning's preach, Parties and Pharisees. So if you're making notes, that is your heading. Parties and Pharisees. Now, we start off with the calling of Levi. And I, I referred to this here in my preach a few weeks ago. And Jesus, as we see here in the passage, calls Levi to follow him. Follow me, Jesus says, and Levi does. Now, just so you can join the dots, we also know Levi by another name, Matthew. And yes, he becomes one of the twelve apostles, and yes, is the author of the, the gospel that we find in, in his name in the New Testament. So already you can see here a correlation of joining together of Scripture and things starting to, to add up. But right now we're calling him Levi, so we'll, we'll try and stick to that. And we need to realise what sort of figure Levi would have been in the local community at the time. Bear in mind, he is working for the occupying force. He's working for the Romans. And what is he doing? He's collecting taxes. Now, before I go any further, have we got any tax collectors in this morning? Can't see online, but we'll, um, we'll, we'll proceed. Be careful what I say, just in case they're watching. I think it's fair to say, in our society today, those who collect taxes are not the most popular of people. Maybe we might compare them to traffic wardens or other people who get quite a bad rap. You know, maybe you're, um, you're, you've got another occupation, you feel oh, it's not very popular, you know, you're never trying to admit what you do when you're at a social gathering. Well, tax collectors, traffic wardens, maybe, maybe similar, would be in that sort of category. Not really your most popular employments. And certainly not if you're working for the occupying force of the Romans. Just imagine how unpopular he would have been with the locals. Jesus is not going here for the Instagram influencer who is popular around town. In fact, quite the reverse. I think it's fair to say that 
Levi may well have interpreted the tax laws quite liberally in his favour. He would have done quite well out of being a tax collector, less so would have those who were paying him. Maybe even he might have been known by Peter and some of the others. I mean, think about it. Those around would have been paying their taxes, probably to Levi. I can imagine a day where, you know, Peter and perhaps some of the others have been, been fishing and they're, they're sort of landing their catch and Levi comes along, right, there's some tax to pay now. And he sort of issues his bill and Peter goes, no, it's not that much. And Levi goes, it's just gone up again. This is the sort of person that Jesus is calling to follow him here. Not your most likely choice of disciple. And now that you find Jesus going to him and saying, follow me. Follow me. I mean, just as an aside, isn't it wonderful that Jesus calls the most unlikely of people? I mean, have a look around this morning. Look at those who are here. There are some unlikely people who are following Jesus. In fact, all of us are unlikely people following Jesus. The Bible says this, Paul says to the Corinthians, Brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast before him. That, friends, is good news for most of us. Not many of us, I know most of you, not all, but not many of us are of noble birth. Some of us are wiser than others, perhaps. Not many influential. Not many wise by human standards, but God chose and Jesus goes to Levi and chooses him. Calls him to follow. And I love the fact that when Jesus goes to Levi and says, follow me, he responds straight away. He gets up and follows Jesus. Don't you find that incredible? I mean, it's not like a, oh, well, thank you, Jesus. I'll, um, I'll have a think about that. You know, I'll have a read about what you're preaching. I'll, I'll give some consideration to your call. Thank you for the invitation. I'll get back to you. No, no, instantly, Jesus says, follow me. Levi gets up and follows him. Such was the call on his life. Such was the person of Jesus. That Levi responds immediately. I mean, Scripture seems to make it so simple, doesn't it? <laughs> Jesus says to Levi, follow me. Levi goes, okay, and does. It's just so straightforward. I'm sure he could have come up with a thousand reasons of why it was inconvenient right then. Why it was a bad time or just not 
not good for him, but he didn't, he followed. And in these couple of verses, I think there's such a challenge to us. How often do we hear Jesus' call to us, to you and to me? How often do we hear his call saying, follow me, and we just make excuses? Follow me. Oh, no, not, not now, Lord. It's not, it's not convenient. Follow me. Oh, well, yeah, yeah but, but not there. Over here, yeah, but out on the streets as a street pastor at three o'clock in the morning? Oh, oh, no, no, not there, Lord. Follow me, says Jesus. And we come up with all sorts of excuses. Love your neighbour, Jesus says to us. And, wow, Lord, did you know what I said about me? Oh. Love one another. Jesus says, Lord, really? Them? Are you sure? Give, and it will be given to you, Jesus says. Oh, Jesus, you don't understand this, like a cost of living crisis. Do you you not get it? You know, I can't afford to do that. Do not judge, says Jesus. Oh, no, 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 you, you don't understand, Lord. This isn't judging. This is, this is for prayer. Go and make disciples of all nations, Jesus says. What? Those ones, Lord? But, you know, you know I don't like travelling. That's, that's not really my radar. You know, whatever Jesus says to us, we can come up with all sorts of excuses. Levi didn't. Jesus says, follow What does he do? He follows. You know, for every command of Jesus, every call, every invitation of the Lord, there's always an excuse. But the question for us this morning, dear friends, is this. Are you going to be obedient or are you going to be obstinate? Are you going to be obedient or obstinate? Quick to say yes, or quicker to say no. For Levi, he just follows. And, and I doubt very much whether he really understood the implication of his decision on that day. I don't think he realised at that point how things were going to pan out. Maybe you're not sure how things are going to pan out. But still, Jesus says to you, follow me. Trust me. Stay close to me. Be obedient to me. So I wonder this morning, who of you needs to say yes to Jesus afresh? Now, I'm not talking particularly about Uh, giving your life to follow him, to become a Christian. That that may be the case. It may be for you this morning. You're you're just here visiting. You're maybe with a friend. You're looking in, thinking, I just want to find out about this. Not really too sure, but asking some questions. And maybe for you it is crossing that line of faith. Maybe it is for you for the first time, putting your trust in Jesus and responding to him when he says, follow, you say, yes, Lord. Or maybe for some of you this morning, It's not putting your trust in Jesus for the first time, but it is saying, yes, Lord, 
when Jesus says follow, when he says forgive, when he says go, when he says give. Maybe for you it's putting your trust in Jesus afresh. I wonder in what ways right now is Jesus inviting you to follow him? What's the prod that the Holy Spirit is giving you even now, even this morning? In what way is Jesus calling you to be obedient, just like Levi was, in following? You know, I have to admit, when I sat down to prepare this passage, and Tim and I had done some work on you know, dividing up the, the book and giving some sort of headline thoughts to what some of the things we might cover are, I didn't expect to go here. But as I was preparing and praying about this, it just felt that the Lord wanted to highlight some of these things. So let me ask you one more time. How is God calling you to follow him? How is he calling you to trust him? How is he calling you to say, yes, Lord, even now? I I believe for some of you this morning, there's some things that you know God is speaking to you about, but you've been hesitant to say yes, because there's a cost to it. I just want to wait and just allow the Holy Spirit to speak to you. In what way is God calling you to say yes to him? How do you need to say yes to him this morning? Let's just just wait on him for a moment. Just ask the Lord, you know, how is he asking you to say yes to him? Hey, listen, maybe if you're really brave this morning, if you know God is speaking to you and calling you to say yes in some area of your life, some area of your life to follow him, just stand where you are and I pray really quickly. So I don't want to miss this moment. Maybe even you're joining us online, you're watching this, you're thinking, oh, that's me this morning, I want to pray for you. So I don't miss this moment. If you feel that's you, just stand really quickly. We're going to pray. How is God calling you to say yes? Lord Jesus, I want to pray right now for any who know they need to say yes to you. Yes to follow. Yes to be obedient. Lord, I want to pray whether it's here in this room in Quad or watching online. God, I want to pray that you would provide all that is needed to follow you. And that, God, you would give gifts of faith to be obedient. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Okay, so, where are we? Back to Levi. Back to Levi. He's just made a decision that's going to cost him. He's made this decision to follow Jesus. It's going to cost him his time, his energy, his money. According to Christian tradition, it costs him his life. But right now, he doesn't know any of that. To be honest, he doesn't really know much at all. All he knows is he said yes to following Jesus. He hasn't done Alpha. He's not completed any discipleship training. 
He's not heard any teaching on how to share your faith. He's not done into the Word. He's got nothing that he's got some training or experience on. All he knows is he said yes. He hasn't even learned any worship songs yet or worked out how to pray. He just knows that he said yes to following Jesus. But listen, one thing he does know how to do, one thing that he can do, is this. He knows how to throw a party. He knows how to throw a party. And here we find in Scripture, in the Gospel of Mark, perhaps one of the best approaches to evangelism that there is, in my opinion. Party evangelism. I think I should write the book, don't you? Party evangelism. Anyone up for that? I'm up for that, yeah. We did a series a few years ago called Just Walk Across the Room. Some of you may have been here. You've remembered it. We talked about this. And here we have Levi, a brand new disciple of Jesus. He doesn't know much, but he knows this. He knows that he wants his friends, most of whom don't know Jesus yet. Bear in mind, most of his friends are probably other tax collectors or traffic wardens. He wants them to meet Jesus. So how does he do it? He throws a party. This is genius. I love it. I wonder, do you think you could do that? Do you have that within your ability to throw a party for some friends? Any of us up for doing that? Some of you are more up for it than others, I think. To be clear, really clear, this is not a nice, respectable Christian social. All right? This is a party full of tax collectors and sinners, people far from God. It may well have been quite a raucous and loud affair. These are his friends. These are the people that he's been hanging out with. And listen, these are exactly the sort of people that need to meet Jesus. Are they not? And Jesus, it seems, is quite happy amongst their company. Yet Levi didn't have it all together, didn't have it all figured out, but he did what he knew he could do. He connected some of his old friends with some of his new friends. He connected some people that were far from God with Jesus. It's not hard, is it? He realised that His purpose now included being salt and light in his world with the people that he knew. And that should be your purpose too. You could throw a party just like Levi did. I think we called it, when we looked at this before, a Matthew party. It doesn't have to be expensive or elaborate. It's just what needs to be, whatever makes sense for you in your context. So depending upon your age, where you live, who your friends are, it will look different. But that's okay. You know, it it could be anything from a cheese and wine evening or a posh dinner party to a picnic in the park with cheese sandwiches and a whole bunch of kids or a party at a pub or any other sort of variety of mix of people that you might imagine. Just think through what will work for you and your friends. Invite someone in. 
invite some people that know Jesus, mix it up, and see what God does. It's like a recipe, really. You, you take a bunch of people who are far from God and haven't really experienced much of uh, the gospel. You, you add in a, a smattering of Jesus followers and you sort of stir it up and mix it up and pray over it and see what God does. And I want to tell you that God does some amazing things. Because you start to mix people who are asking questions with people that don't have all of life figured out, but know one thing, they know that they want to point to Jesus. And God blesses that. He works in that. So I wonder this morning, who of you are up for some parties? Who of you over the next few months could think about, oh, I wonder if I could connect some friends at work with some of my church friends? Now get the ratio right. Don't have like, you know, 30 Christians and two non-Christians. That will not work well. But, you know, 30 people who don't know Jesus yet and half a dozen people who do, that's about a good mix. Pray over it, mix it up, ask God to bless it, and see what he does. We've done all sorts of things like that over the years, and it's fascinating some of the questions and conversations that come out of it. Oh, oh, you're a Christian as well. Oh, you go to their church. It's it's fascinating to watch. I love being in that sort of situation. But I want to challenge you over these next few months, why not think about doing something like that? Maybe thinking about as a small group, as a life group, each doing something like that. You can support one another and help one another in it. But I want to encourage you, have some parties. There you go. The preacher this morning said, this is your takeaway, have some parties. Hallelujah. And see what God might do. But before we finish, we need to talk about Pharisees. Parties and Pharisees is our heading this morning, so we've got to talk about Pharisees. So Levi throws a party for his friends, a whole bunch of tax collectors and sinners. Jesus is there. Important, isn't it? Jesus is there. He's fine hanging out with these people. Takes the disciples along with him. Things seem to be going really well. And then we get one group of people who are not happy about what's going on. Who is it? It's the Pharisees. Now, just so you know, the Pharisees were the religious leaders of the day. It was they who controlled the synagogues, preaching obedience to the Old Testament law of Moses, plus all the extra rules and regulations that they put on people as well. To make things straightforward, so they thought, they turn the law of Moses into, wait for it, 248 commands, 365 prohibitions, and 1,521 amendments. Steeped in the Old Testament law and history of the people of God, these are the Pharisees. And we're going to find ourselves running into them time and time again over subsequent weeks. Now, the Pharisees, you need to understand, the Pharisees knew their stuff. If you went up against a Pharisee on Old Testament law, you're not going to win. They know Old Testament law backwards. They know their stuff. And all the other stuff they've added on as well. 
Now, if you've been around Christian circles for any length of time, you may well picture the Pharisees as the bad guys in the story. Like, you know, it's like, you know, the Pharisees come on, everyone goes, boo. And you find Jesus coming up against them time and again, as we've said. We find Jesus provoking them, challenging them, setting them up with questions. And we'll find the Pharisees getting increasingly frustrated and cross with Jesus because he's disrupting their system. I mean, so much so at the beginning of Mark chapter 3, you find them plotting how to kill Jesus. And bear in mind, that's only Mark chapter 3. They're that angry with what he's doing. But, you know, I don't think it's fair just to label them as the bad guys. It's not that black and white. It's not that clear. The Pharisees were, you might say, the conservative, that's a small c, to be clear, Bible believers of their day. They were sincere. They wanted to worship God correctly underlined correctly. But, it's a big but, they've got more caught up in their rules and their regulations for as they saw it the right way to worship and follow God than they had in their relationship with God. What had started out as a good desire to follow God correctly, by the time Jesus comes along, well, it's got so far removed from God that it's lost the life of God that maybe once it had in it. They wanted to protect their system and Jesus challenged it. They thought they were always right, but actually they weren't. They started off well, but as we might say in our language, they lost the plot along the way. Now, before we're too quick to pass judgment on the Pharisees, we need to take a quick check of our own hearts. You know, particularly if you've grown up in church, you've been around church life for a while, maybe you've been involved in the more traditional one previously. That was certainly my experience. It's easy for you to slip into a pattern of wanting everything done the way that it's always been done, or the way you used to do it, or the way that you think he's right. Tradition, which is just the way we've always done it, can become more important than life and freedom in God. And you don't notice it at first. You don't see it, you don't spot it, but it's easy to get drawn in. Tom Wright in his commentary says this, he says, Jesus wasn't just challenging one or two residual bits of legalism, he was at the cutting edge of God's new world. And he goes on to ask this question. Are there ways in which the church today can get so blinded by its commitment to what, is, what appear necessary rules that it fails to see God's healing and restorative work breaking through? It's quite a challenge, isn't it? Are there ways in which the church today, maybe we should say, are there ways in which you and I today get so blinded by commitments to what we think are necessary rules that we fail to see God's healing and restorative work breaking through. The truth, friends, is this. Without realising it, I can become a Pharisee. 
And without realising it, you can become a Pharisee. So it's time to check your heart. How is your heart before God? How's your heart? And I want to encourage you, if you feel the Lord convicting you this morning, come to him, confess your sins to him, allow him to deal with your heart. Because Jesus wants there to be life and freedom in following him. Not us checking a checklist of rules and obedience, like, have I got this right or that right or that right? He wants there to be life and freedom. I had an eye test this week, an eye checkup, actually. They did a, a number of tests. I had an eye test to see what I could see. Now you read those, those letters off the board. They checked some pressures in my eyes. They did some tests on my field of vision. They, they got this rather clever computerised camera and sort of scanned the back of my eye and got a picture of it on the screen. All these things added together gave my consultant a picture of the health of my eyes. We have these sort of tests, don't we, to, to see how we're doing physically. The skilled medics will look at different parts of our body and run some tests and decide how healthy or not those parts of our body are. Now, you can get similar checks on your heart, can't you? You might have one of those ECG, check, uh, ECG tests and you, know, you get all these probes stuck on you and it... It starts to, you know, you maybe do some exercise on a treadmill and it's monitoring you and the line goes up or down or just flat. Flat's not good, apparently. Um, and, uh, you know, they do some other things and they can see how your heart's doing. Is it beating regularly? Is, it, is the rhythm right? Is it all okay? Clever stuff, these medics, aren't they? Do some good tests. Physicians are great. But I wonder... If the great physician himself was to do a spiritual heart check on you, how would you fare? What would the reports show? What would it say? So for those of us who describe ourselves as Christians this morning, as we finish, we need to do a heart check on ourselves. Are we acting like Pharisees in our approach to things or people? Are we quick to want to reinforce the rules? And what's your approach when God is doing something new? Are you keen to join in with what God is doing that's new? Or do you question it and compare it to what you think you should be doing? And it's been said that the people who are most likely to oppose a new move of God are those who are part of the previous move of God. It's a challenge, isn't it? So are we prepared to look for what God is doing and get in on that? Or are we always comparing it to what we think it should look like? what we think it should be. So what about you? What about me? Are we so set in our ways we might miss what God wants to do? Or are we looking for that new thing that God is doing and prepare to get in on that? Tom Wright puts it like this. He says, when God is doing new things, we should join the party, not grumble. 
because the new wine is threatening to burst our poor old bottles. It's a great quote, isn't it? When God is doing new things, we should join the party, not grumble because the new wine is threatening to burst our poor old bottles. Let's stand and we're going to pray together as we close. Heavenly Father, thank you that you are always doing something new. Thank you that you are always at work. Thank you that you are always calling people to follow. And Lord, this morning we want to pray and respond to you and God, we, we give ourselves to following you afresh. We give ourselves to saying yes when you call. And we pray too that we wouldn't be so caught up in what we think you should do or what it should look like that we actually miss what you're doing. Give us grace to see what you're doing and help us to get in on it and be enthusiastic about it, even if it doesn't quite match up with what our expectations are or what you've done before. Now, Lord, would we look to see what you're doing? Would we look to see where you're working? And Lord, keep us from grumbling because the new wine is different to what we expect. Keep our hearts soft before you, we pray. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thanks for listening to this Jubilee Church podcast. Feel free to check out our website at www.jubilee.org.uk and come along on any Sunday morning.